Bruce Cook is honored to have you join his conversations with people committed to talking with heart and brain functions in full operating gear. No spin, no agenda, just authentic conversation on just about anything. Welcome to the Bruce Cook Conversation. Former college and pro baseball player and current dad with kids in sports, Matt Morrison, talks about youth sports burnout and the California Assembly Bill to ban tackle football for kids under 12 years of age. All this and more during the football playoff game between the Detroit Lions and the San Francisco 49ers on the Bruce Cook Conversation Live. The Bruce Cook Conversation with your host, Bruce Cook. Trending now, here's your host, Bruce Cook. Brought to you by the Hogue Institutes, Hogue Family Cancer Institute, Hogue Digestive Health Institute, and Pickup Family Neurosciences Institute. Unparalleled expertise, world-class care, right here in OC. And good evening, ladies and gentlemen. It's Bruce Cook. It's time for the conversation live on Angels Radio. I know you're all watching the fourth quarter of the playoffs tonight, the score, as you know, is tied. San Francisco 24, Detroit Lions 24. Big comeback in the beginning of the second half, as you probably know if you've been paying attention to it. The first half was a blowout for the Detroit Lions. Score was, I believe, 14-7 at the time. And all the pundits on all the radio stations were saying, it's a win, it's a blowout. What happened to Brock Purdy? What's going on? Is he looking at his options for next year? Is the team going to keep him? Boy, sports is an interesting interesting uh, business, isn't it, ladies and gentlemen? But listen, I want to tell you, we're going to start our show tonight with a few moments of, uh, of a recollection I had uh, two years ago here in Orange County, California, the late Paul Salata, who was a 49ers player in his heyday, he founded this thing that a lot of you sports fans know is called Irrelevant Week, which honors for a week the last pick of the NFL draw every year. Two years ago, it was Brock Purdy, kid from Arizona. I was invited to the dinner that introduced Brock Purdy, and I've been going to this for I don't know, 20 years maybe, maybe longer, 30 years. And I met Brock Purdy, and he was a very unassuming, very nice, very respectful young man from Arizona with not a sophisticated background, but I knew that this kid had something special. Call it instinct, call it whatever you want, but I told him, I said, you're going to go places, and I expect that in a couple of years we're going to help know a lot about Brock Purdy. And, heck, he has tied the game despite all the pundits, and this fourth quarter will be amazing. Of course, you're not listening to it because you're going to stay with me. But if you are switching back on channels and you're an Angels radio fan all over Southern California, we have a really good show as an alternate especially if things start to go the wrong way, depending on what team you're for. Tonight, on this hour with us in the conversation, I'm going to introduce you to a friend of mine who is a former professional athlete, and he started as a kid, as most people do, <laughs> just like tonight. Every player on both of those teams started playing sports, probably some of them as, long as, as young as a year or two years old. 
and their their path, their progress through life has been very much dominated by what they have learned, what they have experienced, and what others have given them as they've grown in their goals and their career. So the show tonight, the conversation tonight, is going to focus on what's happening in youth sports today. There's so much changing. There are so many opinions about what is safe and what is not safe and what kids should be playing and what shouldn't. And what about the whole topic of sports burnout? You've been hearing that in the news all this past couple of weeks. It's been a headline on all the big morning shows, the news topic. I don't know why, particularly now, but it has, and we're going to dive into it. But to get there, I've invited Matt Morrison tonight to join me live. He's in studio tonight. Matt grew up actually was born and raised as a youngster in Detroit, family moved to the Bay Area, to Marin County, Tiburon. He went to the famous, well-known in California anyway, Redwood High School, where he was a star athlete in both football and baseball, lettered four years, and actually, I just read in his bio that last year he was nominated into that high school athletic hall of fame. He's going to talk about that when I bring him on. He was drafted by the Texas Rangers. I'm sorry, I forgot about his college career. It was He went to UCLA, ladies and gentlemen, and played baseball for four years and was then drafted by the Texas Rangers. He played two seasons in the minor leagues. The rest of his career went into broadcasting. He's been on CNN. He's been on Fox. He's been on every possible sports medium as both producer, anchor, writer, everywhere all across the country from Los Angeles to Atlanta to Seattle, you name it. He joins me tonight. He is a local writer and producer here in Southern California. Say hello, Matt. Well, good evening, Bruce. That was a very kind introduction, and I do appreciate it. Happy to be here with you tonight. I'm happy you would come in tonight and miss the fourth quarter, but we'll pay attention. Yeah, we will. We've got Oscar in the other booth, and he's going to tell us what's happening, especially if somebody really makes a big mistake. (laughs) And and we'll share it with the audience Oh, the pundits. We'll get into the pundits, won't we? Talk to me about pundits. Talk to me about your life in sports as a kid, the highs and the lows. Give me the best thing that ever happened to you as a high school player at Redwood High School, and then tell me what happened that took the rug right out from under you. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll take it back a little bit farther, and we may get into this a little bit more tonight when we talk about parenting and kids and sports and whatnot. <clears throat> I was fortunate to be in the middle of seven kids. I've got two older brothers and an older sister, a younger sister, and two younger brothers. So the sports and the competition stuff that we were first exposed to, and me in particular, because I had older brothers, they, you know, pounded down. And then I had younger siblings, and I practiced on them. You know, it's just kind of a neighborhood, uh, whether it's in the garage or in the basement or out in the neighborhood or at the local park, you know, you're competing as kids just with the guys in your neighborhood. Did the older brothers have... Your kind of sports acumen and talent? Yeah, um, one did. My oldest brother, Angus, uh, was a, was an excellent athlete. He had uh, um, he didn't go that far, but, you know, he still is a good athlete if you want to talk about he's a great skier, you know, and this and, you know, he always played sport. My, my brother, Ed, the next oldest, not as, not as much of an athlete 
as the rest of us in the family were. He's the artistic side dude, um, but everyone loves him. And uh, <laughs> you know, if he was, if there was a run to the litter, it was my second brother Ed. Anyway, but the thing is, he was three years older than me. So regardless of what we were playing, whether it was shooting baskets on the driveway or playing wiffle ball against the garage door, you know, I was competing against older guys. Now, what about your dad with seven kids and all these boys? I'm going to assume it was a Irish Catholic family. Uh, yeah, well, we're, we're almost 100% Scottish, but yes. Oh, Scottish, okay. Yes. Well. But, but still, yes, Catholic, big Catholic family from the Midwest. My, both my mother and father born in Michigan and lived their whole lives there. Uh, we were all born, most of us, in Lansing, and then we uh, lived in Detroit for a little bit before we moved, moved around and got to California. But my dad was a very good athlete. He was a, um, he was a quarterback at Michigan State, played only two years, but uh, uh, got injured and whatnot. But he was definitely a uh, a role model as far as athleticism and I think my oldest brother Gus who was a terrific athlete probably got uh, a little burnt out and we're going to get to that but and, and, and me coming back you know three three four kids year kids later I wasn't paid attention to that much until until what how are you paid it until you made a successor well you know uh, I was a good athlete I was never like the greatest athlete in the world but i always worked really hard and uh yeah i had a very strong high school career football is a better football player but i ended up uh playing four years of baseball at ucla which was my i was better suited for that just my size 511 170 and um back then (laughs) okay back to dad back to dad though what did he what was the the most important thing that you learned from your dad who was obviously very athletic and also a, a sports guy. You know, he he let us make our mistakes. You know, if you if you if you wiped out on your bike, it was uh, well. Let's rub some dirt on that and uh, you know go clean it off with a hose and stop crying. He was that guy. What's interesting that you say that is that so much of the media talk about parents and sports today is that a lot of sports dads are so aggressive with their sons and daughters and it sounds like your dad was kind of a nice guy about it oh he was he's a he's a gruff scotsman you know he, he definitely was a, a tough dude no he appreciated that his kids played sports and were good you know he what about it when you lost did he beat you no, up or no, did he reprimand no you? you know what i think the fact that he uh, played to a high level and understood the dynamics of competition which is you can lose and it will hurt, and you will get over it. No, he, he, he was, uh, there was never a, a pressure to be better than we could be or, or whatever. But he liked, you know, and he was a good enough athlete to throw with us and teach us and shoot baskets with us and whatnot and have a word to say and, and, and compete a little bit. So, All right, we're going to come back to that. I want to get back to my question where I asked you, great moment in your youth sports career what was a really special anecdote you could share i would say <laughs> this is funny it's funny that you asked it uh when i was in second grade there was a big fourth of july picnic we you've were li- got a long-term memory boy <laughs> i do uh i could tell you i would blow you away with some of the little things i remember when i was a little kid um when i was in second grade there was a big fourth of july whole town picnic and we were living in uh, Northbrook Illinois at the time it was um, Midwest obviously and there was like a, a series of races and it's like all the fifth grade kids line up and race 
and anyway, all the second grade kids. And I lined up and I won that race. And I felt like from then on, I could win something, you know? So that, that would be one. No, that's a really good example, actually, to be kind of the underdog with fifth graders and you win the race. That well, I, did, a, I wasn't racing fifth, fifth graders. I'm just saying, they, they, you know, kids like aged kids would race. Even still, it gives a child such confidence. Yeah. And it, that has never changed. I don't think that will ever change. No, I agree, yeah. Now, give me the bad moment. Oh, let's see. You know, it's funny. I, I, By the way, how do you remember back that far? <sighs> second grade? Wow. Way before second grade. How far? <laughs> Don't yeah. tell me you remember being born. I was born in Lansing, Michigan in 1962. We moved from there in 1964. I can tell you who our next-door neighbors were. Our um, our family down the street that are lifelong friends, Arlene Bing. I remember... <laughs> distinctly showing off her my first product when I was learning how to use a potty chair. Pretty good. That's weird stuff. All right, now, tell me the worst part of, of a sports experience for a kid. Um, okay, so I had a lot of um, uh, fun and success and not always on great teams playing high school football, but the things that I remember are the boneheads. I remember getting hit and fumbling the ball as a running back against Drake High School, and they went on to go to, to score the go-ahead go and winning touchdown. That kills me. I remember, <laughs> I remember being um, a safety and trying to um, defend this huge tight end, and I was right on the ball, and he reached over the top of me, grabbed it away, and took it in for a touchdown. I remember these, these bad plays. I had a lot of good plays, and I can remember them too, but the bad ones kind of stick out. Anything really serious ever happened? Uh, you know, I, I broke hands, um, had, a, had a messed up back for a little while in football. But uh, you know what? I did have a concussion in eighth grade since that's become a popular topic. I remember returning a kickoff and getting slammed when I was playing Pop Warner football. And I, was I thought I was fine. And I stayed in the game for one play. And then I found myself on the 50-yard line. Dizzy. I, I had absolutely no idea what I was supposed to do. Where am I supposed to walk? I, I knew I was at a football game. I didn't know that that was my team and that was the other team. It was really a very interesting brain uh, situation. But, yeah, con concussions can be very real. And, uh, and who came to your aid? Um, coaches and, and my dad. And what did they do? What did they say? <laughs> my dad took me and said, get in the cold shower. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, it, he, he again, had played enough football to understand, you know, it's a rough sport, you're going to get dinged up. And that's what we called it back in those days. You got dinged up. If you were on the ground and you were dizzy from a, getting hammered, they would break a little uh, um, ammonia capsule in front of your nose just to shock your system. That, that was medical treatment back in the 70s. Today it would be called child abuse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that. Uh, and what about the coaches? Did they did they recognize the possible danger? Did they, as you just described, so just say, you know, pull it together, kid? No, it was gonna... it was it was you know, tough up. You know, I remember playing many football seasons where it's like water was a reward if you, you know, f an hour and a half down the line, if you're good, we'll give you some water. And it's like, boy, that wasn't. Very smart. <laughs> and this was eighth grade. Well, I started playing football when I was in sixth grade, sixth, seventh, eighth, and then high school, four years. 
part of the show is we're going to get to uh, a little bit down the, the line is the California Assembly, as you know, and as hopefully a lot of ladies and gentlemen listening tonight to our conversation, there is a very, very, very uh, serious bill in discussion regarding prohibiting all kids up until high school. Actually, it's all the way through high school, but there's discussion on where it should begin and where it should end from playing football as we know it. No more helmets, no more tackles because of the concussion problem and because of the head injury problem. Fourth quarter tonight, and uh, you probably know this, the score is now 27-24 San Francisco and approximately nine minutes left in the game. We will keep you posted on what's happening. We parted uh, with Matt Morrison uh, for a commercial break talking about this new law in discussion in the California legislature. It is called, let me get it right, Assembly Bill 734. And it has gone through committee. And basically, it's a bill about restricting youth sports in dangerous football play for kids from two years old to high school. And interesting, interestingly enough, it was originally uh, sponsored by uh, an assemblyman <coughs> named, I've got it here somewhere, uh, Kevin McCarthy. And the bill will advance beyond the assembly, if, it, if, if so, and Governor uh, Newsom has already said he's going to veto it, which is certainly somewhat of a surprise. But the reason are complicated, mostly because football is such an important part of the sports culture of America. Matt, jump in here. What do you think? Should California voters, if this comes to a head, it's going to go to the polls and it's going to have to be voted on in November. What do you think the legis- what do you think the the citizenry of California is going to do if they're faced with the choice of your kids are not going to be able to play football as we know it until they reach high school and maybe not even high school. If it hasn't been laughed out of the assembly already, uh, anything can happen. I think it's ridiculous that the state government feels like it needs to tell parents and children how to uh, grow and uh, take part in recreation. Yes, some sports are a little more rough than others. And yes, uh, there are uh, equipment and injury factors that should be in consideration, but they are. Isn't that mom and dad's choice whether to put the kid in football at 10 or 12 or 14 if they want? Well, you're right. It is a parent's choice. But here's let me give you the flip side. The flip side is, yes, it is the individual parent's choice. It is the child's choice. But it is the community's responsibility if something happens. If a child is seriously injured playing tackle football at fifth or sixth grade and the parents cannot handle the expense of the treatment, it is put on society. So there's, there is that side of the coin. Is society responsible to take care of an injured person when the family cannot do so? 
when the injury is caused by the choice of one family to allow their child to participate in a dangerous activity. Well, I think you can say that about any aspect of any public uh, institution. If a kid, you know, breaks his ankle walking in school, I guess it's the school's fault, right? Um, I don't. I, I just don't buy it. I think this is a, a further devaluation of uh, our personal rights as far as parents and children to make the our decisions for ourselves. I think, you know, there's merit from the standpoint that if you're talking about just tackle football, I think six, five and six and seven year old is too small. It's too little. But they are there. There are three year olds playing tackle football in helmets, <laughs> and that's crazy. Um, but yet, it you know, every every fringe part of every society is going to have uh, you know the lower and lower uh, age thre- threshold. But no, you need to regulate what is healthy decision making for uh, age appropriate competition. The way I read it, Bruce, is they are eliminate. They they want the this piece of legislature wants to eliminate tackle football for anyone under 12 years old. That Correct. Means, that is uh, right. And and it's uh, due to uh, potential for head injury. Okay. Now you got to eliminate every girl's soccer team from four years old up because soccer is just as much of a concussion sport as football is, more so because more little kids play soccer and they don't know what they're doing with their heads. So my point is, you're opening a stupid floodgate. Uh, We don't need the government to make these decisions for us. Good point. Thank you so much, Matt Morrison. (laughs) And I will say this, since you mentioned Governor Gavin Newsom, who... uh, said he would not back this. He was an athlete at Redwood High School, five years younger than me, but he was a baseball and basketball player at the same high school I went to. Well, you guys got to stick together because you're both in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> well, he's, or maybe he's not. He, I don't know. G- Gavin Newsom is in the uh, Redwood High School uh, Walk of Honor or something like that. He's not in, he's not in the Athletic Hall of Fame. We're going to keep that more selective. <laughs> Oh, boy. Yeah, don't get me started on him, by the way. Well, <laughs> we'll do our political show next time you come to the <laughs> okay. stadium. Uh, I do politically land as a reporter, for the most part. I see it well, that's on one that, side of the fence. I've never, re- I've, never, uh, I've never registered Republican or Democrat. Well, you're like a lot of people. That independent uh, middle ground <laughs> is finding more and more power. As the uh, as the left and the right seek your attention, yeah, I don't know how much power it is, but uh, yeah, we got problems on the wings. Well, since you've segued into that, I'm going to ask you a political question because, as you just said, you have done a lot of broadcasting. You've had a lot of experience in the newsroom. <laughs> We're off subject now. We're totally going <laughs> off subject. But I wanted—I we'll actually wanted to bring this up at the start of the show tonight, but it just didn't make any sense. But now you've <sighs> given me that opportunity. Ladies and gentlemen, you're probably going to think I'm crazy for saying this, but I'm saying it. I'm thinking it. The verdict that came down this week on the, liabi- the liable trial and the defamation trial for the former President Donald Trump in New York— against the writer E. Jean Carroll with an $83.3 million jury verdict in her favor shocked most of Americans, whether they like Trump or hate Trump, whether they're 
you know, whether they're pro-women's rights or not pro-women's, whatever their position is, that verdict shocked people. And it followed in the heels of a few weeks prior the verdict in Georgia against Trump's former lawyer and associate and former mayor of New York, Rudy Giuliani, when a jury in Georgia awarded $450-plus million to the mother and daughter uh, campaign workers who were uh, who were um, what's the word? Um, it's just got slandered. out of my head. Slandered, whatever you want, by by Giuliani, claiming that they had done a bad job. Shocked America, and in what way? People are mistrusting our system. They're mistrusting our jury trials. They're mistrusting their peers. How can you possibly justify? an award of that size or no even an award of 83.3 million dollars for basically being a big mouth and saying horrible things about somebody and yes defaming them is that worth 83 million dollars their life is so ruined that we have to make them a billionaire a right. multi- i mean i don't get it i i don't uh, agree with that either at all there's no columnist in the world i'm aware of that has made millions of dollars doing anything um and i'll go further if the election was to be held next tuesday instead of november people would vote for trump just for that reason they would be so angry they would be so angry that our jury system is so crazy today that a jury of supposedly responsible men and women would come up with a number like that for both punitive and uh, regulatory damages. Yeah, real damages. I th- yeah, I think it's it's out of line, and I think that you say we're all shocked, and, and that's because it is out of line, that much money for that much thing. I mean, uh, Giuliani and Trump, for the, for the stuff, for the public platform that they have, they do have the ability to do a lot of damage and these young these small individual people whether it's a election worker in georgia or you know uh, a columnist in new york city their lives are horribly affected there should be some kind of punishment there should be enough punishment that guys like trump and giuliani will make the decision not to hurt people with their uh, arguments, shall we say. But um, that's way too much money, and it's, you know... Well, it just throws the whole thing into crazy town, yeah. which is similar, which I brought it up because this AB uh, 183 or whatever it is proposition on sports does kind of does the same thing. It is just so out of bounds that our, our constituents lose faith in our government. And yeah. as you said... The government has its hands in too many things that it shouldn't be in. Well, they're elected and they think they have to do something to go. I mean, who is the sponsor of this bill again? I, you know, it's like. Well, actually, it's a sports guy. Hold on. It's in my notes. It started, it started with Assemblyman uh, Avalino Valencia, yeah. former right end for San Jose State, who goes on to praise his career in sports as a kid growing up just as you did here tonight on the radio but he's had an epiphany that maybe it's not so great for kids under 12 well here's the thing is kids who most kids might want to start playing football or their parents might want them to start playing football 
sometime in middle school, maybe at the beginning of high school, but if they are actually interested in being a good high school football player, you got to start in middle school. Why does the legislature have to tell you when you can make that choice? And that's that's ridiculous. There are some people I was ready to I was ready to play football certainly before I was before I actually did. Same with baseball. You know, it was all sandlot stuff up until, you know, I was 9, 10, 11 years old. Well, news flash, Matt Morrison. <laughs> 34-24, San Francisco, three minutes to go. Pundits, pundits <laughs> on all the stations uh, we've been listening to, you better take your words back about Brock, Brock Purdy, who I told two years ago he was going to do it. Hey, by the way, I am going to forever give you credit for being the first on the Brock Purdy train because that's uh, that's a beautiful thing. I, I knew nothing of him as a college player. Uh, I, I always enjoy the Mr. Irrelevant pageantry and and melanie salata uh you know getting up there is a neat thing but i i would never bet that whoever was the mr irrelevant would have much of any impact in the nfl not only that most most of the the final picks in the draft throughout the history have never made the team right, right. so this is beyond Incredible! This is really a one-of-a-kind special situation. It, it is, and it, there's there's a few of them, and they're the great stories, and we've had many of them over the generations. Uh, having covered pro football closely, um, many many teams, and over many years, I will tell you that teams they can't miss on their first three round picks. Those guys got to be dudes that make the team and maybe make an impact. Fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round dudes. We'll see. Because they know that a lot of those guys have heart and mental acuity that you can't tell from tape and and interviews and stuff. And that's what Tom Brady was a six-round pick, you know. And so you get your good stories every once in a while coming out of those uh, late-round picks. Makes it great. The conversation, my special guest, Matt Morrison. 34-24, one minute to go. 34-24, one minute to go. The Lions have a problem, and it's a problem they've had for many, many years. They're great, and then they poop out. And this is what the pundits said wasn't going to happen this time. They were going to find it. They were going to find it in the second half, but I guess not. Well, the Lions have had a really good season, and unlike teams they've had in the past, they actually got stronger at the end of the year. They have pooped out in in seasons past, but, you know, they made it to the— NFC Championship game, they put on a good show, but uh, Niners are a better team. Okay, with that, <laughs> segue back into our conversation about youth sports. I want to talk about you and your family. You've got three kids. Two of them, I believe, are very athletic. Uh, you have a daughter that's a swimmer. Talk to me. Tell me okay. about that. And there's, well, also, I, there's also something special here to share. Yeah, well, I, I do have two daughters and a son. Um, our oldest, Marin, was a uh, great swimmer, and she ended up uh, fighting brain cancer. And that, uh, that uh, debilitated her, but she went back to swimming as a disabled athlete and made the USA swim team Paralympics and swam in Beijing in 2008. Now, we lost her in 2009. Uh, her younger sister, Cami, was a very good swimmer and a tennis player, but not an athletically uh, you know, hard-charging young person. Uh, their brother, Michael, my youngest, uh, 20, just about to be 22, is playing lacrosse at Chapman 
in his senior season right about now. Talk to me about your daughter and her brain tumor and what the experience is like to go through that as a parent and especially with a child who uh, had so much going for her. Yeah, it, it was horrifying. Um, it's been 15 years since we lost her, Bruce, and, and my reflection— Do you mind my bringing this no, up? I, no, I love talking about her. She had a, a very inspirational story. But, you know, the perspective changes over time, and you don't realize what you're going through in grief um, as you're going through it. And every couple of years, you turn around and go, and you, something— you start figuring things out. Um, she was she was wonderful and dynamic. She was a special needs uh, learner, but she was this incredible swimmer. She was a outstanding uh, age group swimmer everywhere she went. Every age she moved up. And when she was uh, 14, eighth grade, she uh, not even 14, just 13. Uh, you know, she made the U.S. short course championships qualifications, finished in the top 25. You know, swimming against all these high school college and and olympic athletes she was among the best 25 in the country for women's sprinters anyway um she showed a lot of fortitude because her second of four brain surgeries left her paralyzed with hemiparalysis which is is if you had a stroke and your right side is uh, paralyzed and that's what her condition was and um but she had the you know desire and probably nothing else to live for except go back to swimming, which she loved. And she did it as a disabled athlete, and she reached the highest level that she could, and she fulfilled her own dreams. And yes, her life was tragically short to 18 years, but I know very few people that did and accomplished as much in life as she did in 18 years, in terms of just being an inspiration and working so hard and overcoming obstacles and then actually, you know, reaching the goals that she set for herself. So that was very inspirational to me and certainly our, our whole family and everyone who knew Marin was um, pretty impressed. Thank you for sharing that. I really do I, appreciate I thank it. You talk, I thank you for asking me. I, you know, love her story. And while you were sharing that important story, guess what? I got to keep my mouth shut about predictions. Touchdown Lions, it's now 31-34, less than a minute to go, anything could happen. This could be the most exciting playoff game in <laughs> the, the exciting, long time. The most exciting finish that you and I are the only people in the world not watching. <laughs> <laughs> With two timeouts, apparently. Each team has two timeouts. Oh, my. A lot could happen. Well, we'll, we'll learn sooner or later. <laughs> On that note, let's go back to our topic, which is sports burnout, which has seemed so ridiculous when we're talking about this on, on the, uh, on this very incredible game day. But let's talk about that uh, in the in our time left because that's how we were starting the show. Apparently, aggressive adults and aggressive coaches and a sports society that we live in that is more more uh, what's the word it's more every it's everywhere and it didn't used to be everywhere sports was not everywhere in every part of our social and and financial and educational life pervasive i pervasive, think pervasive that's the word <laughs> thank you with it being so pervasive there is a real element of this quote unquote burnout and the the experts the psychologists are saying that it comes from too much too soon, too much pressure too soon. Speak to me. What do you think? What do you know? About? I, 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 
have no doubt that that is a very real part of uh, youth experience growing up nowadays and a parental experience as well. I think that, I mean, again, going back to um, 60s, 70s, 80s, I, 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 I can still tell you to this day, driving down the street, you see the kid throwing a tennis ball against the, against, uh, the garage door. That's the kid that's going to be a good athlete, you know, because he's playing for himself and throw the ball up off the roof and it comes down catching fly balls. Um, you know, the sandlot generation that just got together as kids and did their own thing without parental interruption doesn't seem to exist anymore, does it? And that's not as much as it should. Yeah. And that's the, you know, that's the, uh, that I think is the crux of the burnout problem you're talking about is that parents think they have to be involved from every little uh, beginning stage. And I guess they do if there's going to be organized sports, but I don't know why you need to organize five-year-olds. Just throw the ball out there and let them kick it around. Some aren't going to be interested at all. They're already burnt out because they're artists or have some other interest that they don't like sports. They, I mean, you know, they like it, like it a little, but they don't want to be on the high school team or get a scholarship or become a pro. Most, you know, never will, obviously, but it's a matter of... Um, I think the parental involvement is really intense. Here's the other factor. Many kids today in elementary school, because it is a belief by society and by current day parents of that age group, they have to do everything. Monday, they have soccer. Tuesday, they're playing tennis. Wednesday's basketball tournament. Thursday is football. Friday is track, running, gymnastics. In other words, they're in every sport every day. The weekends are booked. They barely have time to breathe. And this is also part of this quote-unquote burnout factor. And psychologists are saying this is okay as as a, to quote Forrest Gump, pick your you know, life is like a, bo- a box of chocolates. Pick the different flavors and try everything out. But once you've done that with a child, especially if you're an aggressive sports family parent, see what see what they like. See what they really want to focus on. If you hear your kids saying, I don't want to do that anymore. I don't like it. I, I, I don't want to do it. But I really like this. So let them focus on what they like and get better at it and enjoy it more. Exactly. Well, that's uh, the nature of parenting, isn't it? You always you have your hopes and your dreams for your children, and if they don't, uh, and they will eventually diverge from your dream. Better understand real quick that it's not your dream; it's their dream or their you know, desire. It's interesting you say that because I personally, in very recent days, and I have adult children and grandchildren, I've come to the realization that it's not my journey. I want it to be I want to be part of their journey and I want to be with that journey but it's really not my journey it is their journey they have to make those choices but as a parent going back as with kids growing up in sports I was not the crazy uh, sports parent I let them pick and choose pretty much it wasn't my thing to do that but everybody else in that age group they were really aggressive 
You know, that's interesting. I, as I said, I had two daughters, and, and, and we, it was just two girls for, our son came along eight years after our second daughter. And I was really happy that they got into swimming. Because dad can't do anything to screw up a kid swimming. You're either at the wall, you swim, and you touch first or second or third, and, you know, there's no real coaching. that. So I just was able to enjoy their individual sports. And then when we were pregnant and, gonna, and knew we were going to have a son, I was going, oh, shit. <laughs> now I got to get involved. Pardon me. Now I got to get involved because if I don't, some other Little League dad is going to, you know, impact my kids sports experience thankfully it never really did turn out that way everything's groovy and um and uh, our my kids played the sports they wanted to michael switched from baseball to lacrosse at at a point where he could have gone on and maybe been a high school baseball player but he went into lacrosse and he's a college lacrosse player now good for him man yeah i'm with matt morrison tonight and i'm matt i'm going to call on you to take yourself back to your sports days at Fox Sports and close our show tonight and tell us about the end of the of the playoff games. Bruce, this just in, the San Francisco 49ers have defeated the Detroit Lions 35-31 in the NFC Championship game played at Levi's Stadium in Santa Clara. Uh, 34-31, Niners are going on to take on the Kansas City Chiefs in Super Bowl some Roman numeral in the 50s, about 56-57, I think, uh, in two weeks. And I don't even know where that's being played. In Santa, isn't it being played in in not in Santa Cruz. Vegas? It's in Vegas. Oh, that's right, of course Vegas. It's in Vegas. All right, see you in Vegas, baby. All we'll right, the crap tables. Listen, it's been a great uh, hour with you, Matt. Uh, I appreciate that. That was a fun ending to the show. Now I'm going to ask you to give to wrap us up by give us give us your hopes for how sports and youth are going to continue to be a positive thing in our in our society. Well, I think it I think it is a very positive thing in our society even back and going to our old guy good old days times because um, well, the Title IX that went on that that uh, came of uh, that began in the 1970s has come to maturity. You see so many really good young uh, youth programs and college and high school and college programs for for girls that didn't exist in the 70s right uh, and as a father of daughters this is something you you notice so i see a lot of really good i see a lot of really great youth um athletic programs developing at every level as you uh, know i'm a a, a a director for a youth non uh, youth sports nonprofit organization west coast sports associates and i see all these programs in the uh, underfunded communities throughout southern california that are doing great jobs with these young people impacting their lives might just be playing volleyball might just be playing basketball or soccer or tennis but you see the the kids are really um benefiting a great deal from just being allowed to play sports and girls are not only allowed to play uh, sports they're they're thriving in it um i think our professional sports level the the athletes on the field in this san francisco detroit game as well as every nfl game every nba game every major league baseball game the quality of athletes are incredible i see so much talent and i'm just enjoying it and i think they're just um you know the the youth sports um uh programs <sighs> You're gonna have some burnout. You're gonna have, you know, we can 
whine about um, certain aspects of of what's wrong. But I look around and I'm going, I see a lot that's right. I see a lot of really good high-level athletes uh, reaching their ultimate goals on a lot of different levels, you know, girls, high school sports. You know, the participation is really impressive. And I'm, 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 I'm very – I'm positive about the state of sports in America right now. And I'll end by saying that with all of our back and forth about what was going on on the, on the game tonight, it really was very close. And yes. they – both teams – Obviously, very well matched. Congratulations to both. And in all true sportsmanship, that's the key. That's the key. No animosity. Slap on the back, onward and upward. Have some fun and enjoy. And with that for, note... For, forget the rankings, just who go do you for like it. watching. Yeah. Right. Listen, with that note, we're closing our conversation tonight. Matt, it's been a pleasure having you on the radio. I appreciate your taking the time and watching the game on your phone. <laughs> And most of all, your just, great your great comments tonight. Just the box score. I didn't actually watch it. Okay, well, box score. That's will what YouTube do. is for. Later. Box score will do. <laughs> Listen, everybody. It's always an honor to be on radio tonight on Angels, and I hope you'll come back every Sunday night at six o'clock for the conversation. We try and cover the world. We try and talk about everything. We hope you learn something. We also hope you have a good time. That's really important. Mostly good health. Be happy. Take care of yourselves. Listen to the radio. Come back again next Sunday night. Good night. If you want to know why there's a love that cannot lie. You've been listening to the Bruce Cook Conversation. Hear the Bruce Cook Conversation on Sundays at 6 p.m. Pacific on AM 830 KLAA. And hear the podcasts of every show on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Raker, Pocket Casts, and Radio Public.